1: Our scripture passages for today come from Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, and I'll be reading portions of these chapters. Stephen, who stood out among the believers for the way God's grace was at work in his life and for his exceptional endowment with divine power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose from some who belonged to the so-called synagogue of former slaves. Members from Cyrene, Alexandria, Lycia, and Asia entered into debate with Stephen. However, they couldn't resist the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly enticed some people to claim, We heard him insult Moses and God. They stirred up the people, the elders, and the legal experts. They caught Stephen, dragged him away, and brought him before the Jerusalem council. Before the council, they presented false witnesses who testified, this man never stops speaking against this holy place and the law. In fact, we heard him say that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, will destroy this place and alter the customary practices Moses gave us. Everyone seated in the council stared at Stephen, and they saw that his face was radiant, just like an angel's. The high priest asked, are these accusations true? You can read Stephen's full response in Acts chapter 7. But I do want to share with you the closing argument of his defense. Stephen replies, You stubborn people. That's a good way to start off a closing response. You stubborn people. and your thoughts and hearing, you are like those who have had no part in God's covenant. You continuously set yourself against the Holy Spirit, just like your ancestors did. Was there a single prophet your ancestors didn't harass? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And you've betrayed and murdered him. You received the law law given by angels, but you haven't kept it. Once the council members heard these words, they were enraged and began to grind their teeth at Stephen. But Stephen empowered by the Holy Spirit, stared into heaven and saw God's majesty and Jesus standing at God's right side. He exclaimed, Look, I can see heaven on display and the human one standing at God's right side. At this, they shrieked and covered their ears. Together, they charged at him, threw him out of the city and began to stone him. The witnesses placed their coats in the care of a young man named Saul. As they battered Stephen with stones, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, accept my life. Falling to his knees, he shouted, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And then he died. Saul was in full agreement with Stephen's murder. At that time, the church in Jerusalem began to be subjected to vicious harassment. Everyone, except the apostles, was scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When I was in youth group in the 1990s and early 2000s, that seems forever ago, we seemed to talk a lot about Christian persecution and the topic of apologetics. Apologetics is the preparation of religious defense through knowledge of religious doctrine and skilled argumentation. And I don't really know why my youth group was really into this or why my youth leaders thought we would be into it. Maybe it kind of came about as a result of what was happening in the world around us at, at that time. There was the horror of the mass shooting at Columbine High School. There was Y2K and all of the fear around Y2K. Do you remember that? Feeling like the world was coming to an end. Maybe it was watching the tragedy of 9-11 and the rise of Christian nationalism that came out, came about as a result. My youth leaders, my youth group leaders, they wanted us to know what we believed, to be firm in what we believed and to be able to share what we believed with others. How many of you are familiar with an elevator speech? Right? An elevator speech is where you think about if you're riding in an elevator and you have 30 seconds, a minute or so, to be able to share what it is you do or your call story or your purpose or your vision or your goal. If you have just 30 seconds, a minute, just whatever it takes to ride in an elevator um, to be able to state your case. And so our youth leaders talked about this, that you needed to be able to state your case To state what you believe and why. And it was always sort of presented to us because we would be persecuted. Like we were going to face persecution in this life and in this world. And so we needed to know what we believed and why and be prepared to give an account. And I don't think I'm alone in this experience and talking to other people who uh, maybe grew up in the 1990s and early 2000s, this seems like it was kind of part of the water, <laughs> part of the Christian culture at the time, and it is still in Christian circles and Christian cultures uh, today. Um, to be able to to be able to defend your faith, to give an account, but to be on guard against uh, persecution that you might experience as a result. Of your faith. But in the years since, I have to admit that I have never experienced persecution because of my faith. In college and in seminary and beyond, I've learned about martyrs, people who willingly suffered death rather than renounce their religion, people who were put to death or endured great suffering on behalf of their beliefs and their principles and their causes. And I've learned that I am not any of these people. I learned about people like Joan of Arc and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Oscar Romero, who became martyrs after their Christian faith put them in direct opposition with the political powers of their times. I learned about the Ugandan martyrs who converted to Catholicism and chose death over renouncing their faith. I've even come to see Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and others involved in the civil rights movement as martyrs who courageously chose suffering and death on the cause for equal rights. And many of these leaders and participants in the civil rights movement were devout people of faith who put their faith into action by working for civil rights. And while I would love to say that I share as deep a faith and as strong of convictions as these martyrs? I don't really know. You see, I've never had to put my faith to the test like that. I've never been in a position where my faith or my convictions caused me or my life to be at risk. But Christian persecution is a real thing. Happening in the world today. In 2021, just under 6,000 Christians were killed throughout the world for their faith. Some 360 million Christians today experience high levels of persecution and discrimination because of their faith. They live in countries like Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, and Yemen. And there's about 50 countries in the world where Christians experience extreme or very high levels of persecution. The United States of America is not one of those 50 countries, contrary to what my youth group experience taught me. Sometimes we hear Christians here in the United States talk about how they are being persecuted in this country because their individual beliefs— perhaps even faith-based beliefs, are in conflict with various laws, expanding human rights, privileges, or opportunities. Expanding human rights, extending privileges and opportunities to other people, that's not Christian persecution. Today we're going to look at Stephen. Stephen has the distinction of being the first Christian martyr who died not too long after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Last week, if you were here in worship with us, either in person or online, you heard Pastor Vance preach about a conflict that had risen up in the early uh, church, and the early Jesus movement. And this was a conflict between uh, some uh Greek speaking folks and some Aramaic speaking folks. The Aramaic speaking folks were were Jews who had lived in Judea, lived in Jerusalem in the region of Judea. They worshipped in in synagogues where uh, they spoke Hebrew. And they spoke a variation of Hebrew Aramaic. And they had deep roots to the land. They and their ancestors before them had lived in the land for generations. And then there were some Greek speaking Jews. These were Jews who had been taken away out of Judea during the different exiles, during different times when other countries had come in and invaded Judea. And so some of these Jewish folks were taken away to other countries where they learned to speak Greek and they were influenced by other cultures. And they had a different story, and they had a different connection to the land. And some of these Greek-speaking Jews came back to, to Jerusalem, to Judea. But they didn't quite fit in with the Judean Jews. They didn't quite fit in with the Aramaic-speaking Jews, because their language was different, their culture was different. And their their connections and their history were a little bit different. And so these Greek-speaking Jews, they started their own synagogues where they could speak Greek with one another and find commonality together. Well, in the early Jesus movement, you had a mixture of Aramaic speakers and Greek speakers. And last week we learned that there was an issue where they felt like the Greek widows, Greek-speaking widows, weren't being treated as fairly. And so what did the apostles do? They called up seven Greek-speaking men To serve, to lead. Stephen was one of those Greek speaking men who was called up to serve, to be a leader, to help care for these Greek speaking widows. Stephen is described as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit who performs great wonders and signs among the people. He was chosen for a particular leadership role because of his gifts, because of his abilities, because of his wisdom, his character, and because he spoke Greek. But after he stepped up into his leadership role, the Greek-speaking Jews began to oppose him and his work. You see, he was ministering amongst the people he had gone to synagogue with. He was ministering to the people and with the people that he had known who had known him, who perhaps had watched him grow up or watched him mature in wisdom and understanding. It's possible that these Greek-speaking Jews were jealous of Stephen's gifts. It's possible that they felt threatened by his success. Perhaps they worried that, that Stephen would cause too many Jews to stray to this new Jesus movement. Maybe they even saw Stephen as a heretic who had turned his back on the Jewish faith, on the Jewish traditions, in order to follow Jesus. And so these Greek-speaking Jews stirred up the crowd, and they brought Stephen before the Jerusalem Council, a group of Jewish religious leaders, priests, scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. And this group made decisions regarding Jewish doctrine and practice. Dr. Willie James Jennings describes the conflict that Stephen faces with the Greek-speaking Jews. He says, These faithful of Israel's far-off places perceive Stephen as a threat. Like the religious leaders who interrogated the apostles earlier in Acts, these anxious, anxious souls cannot hear and see the new order coming from Stephen. They only hear one who would take away hard-won freedom to be true to the ancestors and one who would render unrecognizable the identity of the faithful to God. What would you do to protect your people and your faith from a threat to their existence? Stephen is brought before this council and he's accused, and he's questioned. Stephen launches into a long defense of his faith and his actions. He frames his ministry in the tradition of Abraham and Moses. He demonstrates knowledge of the law as he defends himself against the accusations made against him. Stephen fulfills what Jesus warned would happen to himself, as well as happened to those who chose to follow him. In Luke 9, Jesus says, The human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts, and be killed and raised on the third day. Jesus said to everyone, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me will save them. And in Luke 12, Jesus advises, when they bring you, not if, but when they bring you before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what you should say. The Holy Spirit will tell you at that very moment what you must say. So Stephen is brought before the elders, the chief priests, and legal experts. And in that moment, he has a choice. He can choose whether or not to take up his cross and to follow Jesus, even to the point of death. Stephen has a choice to whether or not, he will respond to the Holy Spirit at work within him. Stephen responds to the Holy Spirit by boldly referring to the members of the Jerusalem Council as stubborn people. You can imagine how well this is going to go when he starts out with, you stubborn people. You can imagine how well the rest of his remarks will be received. He accuses them of setting themselves against the Holy Spirit, just as their ancestors did. He alleges that they worked against the Holy Spirit when they killed Jesus, and they didn't recognize Jesus. He attacks them for receiving the law, but not keeping the law. And so understandably so, after hearing those bold words from Stephen, members of the Jerusalem Council, people that were there as part of the crowd listening, they were enraged by what Stephen had said. The crowd did not recognize the Holy Spirit at work within Stephen. They thought he was doing wrong and causing harm. They were sure that he was blaspheming against God and promoting heresy amongst the people. They thought, we have to to defend our faith. We have to protect God. We have to protect our traditions because clearly this man is acting out against them. And so they threw Stephen out of the city and they murdered him. Dr. Janine says of the death of Stephen, Stephen has been seen as the first Christian martyr. But we must see more than a faithful witness unto death. We must also see the way faithful people can yield to the old order and kill if they believe they or God are threatened by a different witness. Throughout the summer of the Spirit, We've been talking about the Holy Spirit in various ways that we understand the Holy Spirit. One of the things we've talked about is the Holy Spirit blows wherever it wishes. We can hear its sound and see its effects, but we do not always know where, where it comes from or where it goes. We can't control the wind and the movement of the Holy Spirit. Greek-speaking Jews, and members of the Jerusalem Council. They yielded to the old order, and they killed Stephen because they believed that God and their religious way of life were in danger. In their minds, stoning Stephen was a way to protect God and to defend their faith. I wonder, do we ever have moments where we are like Stephen? Where we find ourselves in a situation of conflict? Where we find ourselves with a choice. Whether or not to respond to the Holy Spirit within us. Whether or not to to speak words of truth. No matter if they are hard to say no matter whether we know that they will be um, hard to hear and hard for other people to receive. And you are here on a holiday weekend. You are here in worship, whether in person or you're watching online. And so to me, that that makes, you're the religious faithful. You're here on a holiday weekend. On the one hand, congratulate yourselves. Give yourselves a pat on the back. Yay, you are here. But I think there's another question that we should ask ourselves as the religious faithful. Do we ever have moments when we are like the religious people yield to the old order and resist the new movements of the Spirit? Do we ever have moments where we tear other people down because we feel threatened? Rather than listen for the Holy Spirit, do we launch into attack mode, ready to combat anything and everyone that disrupts our beliefs? Or our way of life? Do we ever feel the need to protect God? As if God were not large enough or strong enough to protect God's own self. One of my favorite writers is a woman by the name of Rachel Held Evans. And she says, this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry, because they said yes. And there's always room for more. In just a few moments, we will be coming to the table to receive communion. We're reminded that this table, it's not our table. It's not First United Methodist Church of Orlando's table. It's God's table. And this table is open for all people who want to receive God's grace in their lives. And whether this is our first time coming to the table or our thousandth time coming to the table, We come because we are hungry, because we have said yes to some movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We come to the table longing to participate in the ever-expanding kingdom of God powered by the Holy Spirit. We come to the table because we continue to say yes. And we come alongside people who look different than us and think different than us and believe different than us. And we trust that in the mystery of God, God brings us all to the table and God always makes room for more. Let us pray. God, we give thanks for your spirit. For your spirit at work within us. For your spirit that gives us the words to speak. For your spirit that gives us the wisdom and the humility to know when to listen. We give thanks for your spirit. That continues to do... New things in us that continues to bring about new creation in this world. God, we pray that today, in whatever ways it looks like for us, that we will say yes to your spirit. That we will say yes to your work of renewal in the world. May we be part of it. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website, at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you.